You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, all right. Well, if you were here earlier in the service, they sang happy birthday to me. Those are some of the things that the first service can get away with. Second service, that's not happening. So, uh, welcome to North Valley. Glad that you guys are here. My name is Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor of the church. Today's my birthday, and I'm so excited because uh, later in the service, my buddy Damon is going to be sharing his story of how God got a hold of his life. And so we're, we're thrilled this morning to be looking at one of the most foundational passages of grace and how uh, that, uh, that relates to salvation. And this is what separates uh, historical Christianity from every other religion in the world. Uh, this is what makes the big difference in life. And uh, this morning what I want to do is I want to just refresh your memory on what the definition of grace that we've been talking about is. Grace is God's goodness towards those who don't deserve it. Uh, it's about God. It's about God's goodness. It's about who God is. Um, at North Valley, we try to help you understand that being a Christian means that you have a heavenly father and he has somewhat of an obsession for you that he wants to free his schedule to spend time with you, know you, be with you. That's what he does. He's not like the distant dad, the uh, absent father. He's present. Uh, this morning, what we're going to be looking at is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. That's where we'll spend the predominant time together. And um, I'm going to read the passage. I'll give you a little context. This is a, a letter that was written uh, by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And he is trying to help distinguish historical Christianity from all the other religions. And it's radically different. It's really freeing. And his uh, primary theme is understanding that it's all about God. It's about God, and God does the incredible work and offers this free gift of salvation for all those who believe him. Ephesus was a kind of a powerhouse city in the ancient world. Archaeologists have discovered large temples, uh, theaters that would hold up to 20,000 people. So when we look at stadiums like Cardinal Stadium or Chase Fields, that's nothing new. We've got it uh, maybe amplified or megafied, but the ancient world did the same kinds of things. Ephesus was a port city. It was uh, known for its uh, uh, religious diversity and its uh, artistic diversity. It's uh, a melting pot of many uh, religions, and these were not followers of Jesus Christ by and large. And uh, very likely on the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey, uh, he uh, established a church there in Ephesus, and he's writing this letter actually from prison to encourage Christians to live out their faith in a very pluralistic society where there's a lot of different worldviews going on. And so he's writing to establish a very strong grace-centered salvation, a grace-centered faith that it's about Jesus offering us a free gift of salvation, and it's all about God's grace. So the Apostle Paul is writing to encourage uh, Christians in a sophisticated society to live different. 
to be distinct. And so he writes today, as we look in the scriptures and we see that this message of God's grace, his saving grace, has a radical impact on our lives today. And it's the great news of salvation. Uh, We are in the month of October, which historically for the church called the month of Reformation. It celebrates the core doctrine of that we are saved by God's grace alone. And it's not by works. And this is what the Protestant Martin Luther uh, uh, addressed at that time, the the corruption of the Catholic Church, uh, and said, wait a second, it's not about penance, it's not about seeking a priest. We have a high priest, his name is Jesus. We, have, we need the scriptures and we're saved by grace alone. It's texts like these, like Martin Luther looked at in the, during the, the beginnings of the Reformation that ignited a, heart, uh, 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 in a fire in his heart to preach this core doctrine. This kind of message today is what we call closed-handed issues, that they're at the very core of our salvation, that we must understand this as a Christian. We must hold on to these as a church. So God's grace is the goodness, is God's goodness towards those who don't deserve it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Let's, let's read that together. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Uh, In an effort to try to explain the role of God's grace and faith in salvation to my son, Sam, I took him on a little field trip and we went down to the local canal. And I kind of told him a story to try to illustrate the role of God's grace, faith, and salvation. And I'll just give you the bullet points of the storyline, but it was like this. I said, Sam... I need you to know, the Bible teaches the kind of the idea that we were like explorers who got lost in the desert. And every Christian's really like this. Every person that, uh, even before they were Christians, they're exploring, seeking, looking for, for life. And the reality is, is the Bible teaches that we are all lost. Uh, Ephesians starts out and says that we were dead in our trespasses. Like, we got no hope. We're in the desert without a water bottle. We're, we don't have a map. We don't know where to go. And then all of a sudden, the, the Holy Spirit comes and He's like our guide. And He takes us to this place where we find grace is like water. It literally gives us an opportunity for life. And it, the Holy Spirit comes and awakens us to our senses that there's something missing that we're going to die separated from the life of God, the love of God, unless we, we, we move with this prompting of the Holy Spirit. And then continuing on, as I tried to explain to my son Sam, is that the good news about Christianity is that God's grace is like an endless reservoir. In Arizona, every year we consume about 2.5 to 3 trillion gallons of water. In a city that's uh, 
roughly six million, or in a, in a state, it's roughly uh, six, well, six million in the city, let me clarify, six million in the metro area of Phoenix. It's projected to grow to 9.5 million by 2025. Issues about water are kind of a big deal in the desert. We're in one of the hottest cities in the country. Water is essential for life. God's grace, though, is like an endless reservoir. It never runs dry. There's an ongoing reservoir that is an endless supply for the Christian. And in faith, is like a canal. It's the means to salvation. The Bible says that we're saved by grace. Well, water's like grace, and water is what brings us life. But the canal is like the means to that life. The faith is like a canal for us, and the Bible teaches is that we're saved from death if we receive this gift of salvation by God's grace. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to walk through the phrase for the, the passages, phrase by phrase, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. The Bible says, for by grace. So we're going to spend time looking at the passage. I'm going to walk you through this incredibly core passage to build you up, to help, maybe help shape a stronger Christian worldview. The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved. By grace. If grace is like water, then that means that you absolutely need, in the analogy, God's grace to live, Right? You need God's grace to live, uh, not just, uh, just to make it, but to thrive in life. Jesus is said in the Gospel of John to come full of grace and full of truth. Jesus is the grace that we need. The Bible says it's by grace you have been saved. God's grace enables us. We have daily grace and saving grace. Daily grace is God's goodness day by day. And as a Christian, we need to rely on God's daily graces and see about how the grace of God, God's goodness coming towards us in, in the morning and in the afternoon and in the evening. We need to have eyes to see that God's goodness is always present. See, that definition is, is God's goodness towards us, those who don't deserve it. There's daily grace as a Christian that we rely on, and then there's the saving grace. And the saving grace is what brings us salvation. How do we have saving grace? It's found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. God's greatest demonstration of His grace was the person and the work of Jesus Christ offering a relationship a relationship to mankind. For by grace you have been saved. I studied this passage this week and I asked the question, saved from what? What are we really saved from? Two, two things I would bring to your attention on being saved from is seeing it is that we're saved from something, but we're also saved to something. We're saved from at least... The penalty of death, which is uh, an eternity separated from the love of God, the life of God, when we receive uh, uh, Jesus Christ as our Lord, we're saved from the penalty of death, which is 
where apart from the grace of God, hell is our home, death is our destiny, torment is our trajectory. It's in, hell is described as an eternal imprisonment separated from the love of God and the life of God. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, at least you're saved from that. That's a very important understanding about salvation is that by grace, that means not by works, it's not us, but by grace, God's grace, and there's an endless reservoir of it, by grace you have been saved from the penalty of sin. And you're also saved from, here would be my, where I spend most of my time trying to motivate Christians, is you're saved from a miserable life. See, when you receive God's grace, you're saved not only from the future frustration, futility, imprisonment, torture, isolation from the, the heavens, but you're also saved from a miserable existence. So if you go mountain biking, if you go hiking in the desert like a, a fool and you forget your water, it's a miserable time. You have an incredible headache, you're dehydrated, you're parched. You may be able to make it. Uh, researchers say you can go three weeks without food, but you can only go three days without water. In Christianity, there's way too many Christians that go day by day without relying upon the grace of God. And what the grace of God does is it saves you from a future Christless eternity, but it saves you also from a miserable existence. Because as a Christian, if you have God's grace rooted into your life, then it permeates how you deal with your marriage. It tells you how to deal with your sin. You've got an endless reservoir of grace that comes down day after day. We need three trillion gallons of God's grace flowing through our life every year, just like Arizona needs three trillion gallons of water flowing into the city to bring life. We're saved from a Christless eternity. We're saved from a miserable existence. This is what gets me keeping going on in my faith and in my journey. I'm saved from dead religion. I'm saved from... I'm saved from a, a question of, is anybody there? I'm saved from isolation. I'm saved from a life separated from... The joy in the journey of the Christian life is walking step by step with God. You don't know what's going to come next. You don't know if your job will hold forever. You don't know if the loved ones you've got will hang, hang with you through all the years. This morning I gave my wife a hug and I said, you know, the worst part uh, uh, of, uh, of just waking up and giving you hugs and, and feeling the love of, of this is that maybe one day I'll have to do life alone without you. That would be really hard. But see, the, the, the message of God's grace is that we're saved from a Christless eternity, but we're also saved from a miserable life. Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one gets to the Father through me. He said, I have come to give life and to give it abundantly. Christians, everybody who's placed their faith in Christ, we're saved from a miserable existence. But we're also saved to. We're saved to an eternal relationship with our Heavenly Father. We're saved to a life and a hope and a promise 
where we have a, a future and God's plan and his protection over our lives, that he's going to accomplish exactly the things that he wants to. The Bible says is that before the worlds were formed, that he had you in mind, that his love was set upon you, and that he made you for good works. I'm saved by God's grace from, and I'm saved by God's grace to. And how does that work? It happens through faith. Um, I like that word, through faith. That phrase. It's a means to salvation. It's not based on me and my faith. My salvation. My salvation is based on God's grace. Grace is what saves me, what saves every Christian, Faith is the means to the salvation. Faith is not work. The Apostle Paul clarifies that. And this is not your own doing. What does he mean by that? He means salvation is not of your own doing. You can't save yourself. You don't have to do A plus B equals C and then I get into heaven. That's, that's not the Christian message at all. We're saved through faith. In my story, I said, grace is like water. Sam, you don't have to worry. God's got an endless reservoir of God's grace on your life. And faith is like a canal. See, the canal doesn't bring the, the true life. It, it, it's, it's not what saves you. What saves you and gives Phoenix a hope and a future is water. Water's what keeps this city thriving. We need water, but we also need those canals. There's nine canals in the Phoenix Valley. Uh, history, Arizona history tells us that when explorers first came into Arizona, they found some ancient canal systems. And those very ancient canal systems uh, were the hope. And part of the rationale as to how we even named the city Phoenix it means out of the ashes would come a great civilization. See, those canals are crucial to life in the valley, life in, in the Phoenix uh, metro area. But it's the water that does the saving. We can go three weeks without food, but you can only go three days without water. I would say it's the same way in your life with God. So, question comes is, well, can I build my faith? Yes, you can. You can reinforce your faith by living for God, relying on God's grace, and it's like you're strengthening that canal of faith in your heart, able to channel trillions of gallons of God's grace through a given year. The more you rely on God's grace, the more stronger your faith is, the more of God's grace that you can receive on a daily basis, on an annual basis. And guess what? God wants to use you not just so that you can be blessed, but that you can be a blessing to other people. As you strengthen the faith, you need to realize that it's not about you, 
but God wants to use you and loves you incredibly. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this. He says, and this is not of your own doing. Meaning, the salvation is not your doing. It's God's doing. It's all about God's grace in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The object of our faith is Jesus. Our faith here means to believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord. This salvation is not of our own doing. We didn't do it. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Building on the story that I told my son Sam, it would be like this. Imagine you're in the desert and you're, you have no water. And all of a sudden a hiker comes up and he says, I know the trail system and I can get you back here to this incredible uh, spring. And it's got all sorts of water. And he takes you there because you know that you, you've got no hope that you're going to die in the desert all alone unless you take a step of faith and follow. You get to the spring and you fill up your Nalgene and you refresh yourself and you find, man, I am going to keep living. It would be foolish of you to say, I saved myself in that story. Who saved, what saved you was the water that you received. Your help along the way was the guide that got you there. And you did have to take a faith step and follow God's leading. You had to follow that guide. The Holy Spirit in the Bible is referred to as a guide, a counselor. In the Christian life, we're to be reminded that this is not of our own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And we are not doing this on our own doing. It's something that we can't boast about. Our salvation is nothing that God looked at from heaven. He didn't look down from heaven at at you and say, okay, I think this guy is going to do a lot of good work. Even though he's not living right right now, I'm going to go ahead and choose to intervene into his life. And I'm going to bring salvation and goodness and grace to his life because he's going to do something. No, it's about God's goodness towards those who don't deserve it. So none of us deserve it, but he chooses to intervene anyway. He doesn't look down from heaven and think, oh, this gal, she has done so good. She has been so obedient, and therefore I'm going to intervene into her life and reveal my plan of salvation and my grace for her because she's been good. I'm going to bring salvation into her life. No, it's a gift. It's God's gift to you and me. It's a free gift. It's not a result of works. It's not a work that you've done in the past. It's not a work that you're going to do in the future. Why? So that no one may boast. At the end of the day, God gets the glory, but we're better for it. John Piper put it like this, we are most satisfied when God is most glorified. There's an incredible design upon our lives. See, God made us to live different. And we enjoy God most when we're relying on God's daily graces through life and seeing the goodness of God, of God at work in our lives. 
and realizing that we're saved by God's grace. And we got to, we got to rest and realize, man, there's an endless reservoir for God's grace. Ephesians 2.10 says this, we are His workmanship. That means that it's His doing, His initiatives. You are His masterpiece, created with a plan and a purpose, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved to do good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is something God's done. Here's what I want to encourage you to think about. There's kind of three ways to live as a result of understanding this core doctrine of salvation. Three ways to live. The first way to live, and I've lived all three of these lifestyles, is the life of irreligion. You could reject the message of grace and say, forget it, I'm going to live as I please. You ever been there before? Even as a Christian, you can bend towards this irreligious mindset and say, today I just want to live as I please. I know what God's Word says, but I want to live as I please. See, grace is going to inform us on the right way to live. And grace, a life of grace is totally different than an irreligious life. An irreligion is, I, I'm gonna, it's my choice, I can do what I want. We live in a very pluralistic, postmodern culture that lives a lot in this category of irreligion. Many of you have lived an irreligious lifestyle. I'll drink as much as I want to drink, I'll do what I want to do, I'll go to God's Word as I need it but I'm going to live as I please. On the far end and the other side is the religious lifestyle. And it's a style of mentality and lifestyle that thinks of entitlement. And this is a big deal in our culture as well. Many people in, uh, I'd say the vast majority of Christians operate under uh, this mindset if they have a poor theology of God's grace. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. So the question comes is, what gets you into heaven? And if you were to say, well, what gets me into heaven is I've lived a good life and therefore the Heavenly Father ought to accept me. That's the wrong answer. The right answer is what gets us into heaven is a relationship with Jesus Christ, God's grace. It's not our works that get us salvation. It's God. Who gives us salvation. Religion kind of tilts towards this. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I've done this, I've done that. And therefore I'm accepted by God. The torture of religion, a religious mindset, is that you never know how much obedience is enough. How much good works is enough. And you wonder at the end of the day, am I truly accepted by God? And then there's the life of grace that teaches us about Jesus and the free gift of salvation. And that helps us to understand I'm accepted by God and therefore I obey. When you're accepted, there's this natural inclination to say, man, I want to please my heavenly Father. When you're accepted, there's a sense of security that you can keep going on and keep living what the life that God has called you to live. Being accepted fuels our obedience. 
So we're not trying to do good works as a Christian so that we can achieve salvation. We do good works as a result of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what I've talked about so many different times before is that the distinction between historical Christianity is a message of God's good news. The the vast majority of uh, religions teach good works. And we share in many of those good works, but the basis of our salvation is all about good news. Let's look back at Ephesians 2.10 and notice this, that the Apostle Paul does this is that he doesn't dismiss the importance of obedience. He doesn't dismiss the importance of work. But what did he do before verse 10? He pounded out the reality that you're incredibly accepted by God before he got to good works. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now let's go back and look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 for good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So the basis of your salvation isn't on your good work, it's on the good work of Jesus Christ. This ought to shape the way you live with a deep level of acceptance. That you're accepted by God. When people won't forgive you, if you're faithful to ask for forgiveness from the Lord and just rely upon His grace, you'll experience His forgiveness. We positionally as Christians live in this category of being accepted by God. Let's look at that diagram one last time. Irreligion, grace, and religion. Positionally, you are living in God's grace. There's nothing you can do to get away from God's grace. And look at this. Irreligion leads to death. Grace leads to life. Dead religion leads to death. A religion that's seeking to just work, work, work on your own doing, trying to save yourself, leads to death. The only pathway that leads to life is grace. This morning, what I want to do is invite up my friend Damon, who uh, is going to share with you his story. So let's give him a great North Valley welcome. So Damon, this is a big day for you, man. I'm so glad that you decided to do this. There's the mic. Well, today we got a Cardinals game after the second service. I know you're a big Cardinals fan. And so uh, I'm, I'm really thankful that you're uh, here today on this special day. Thank you. Let's talk about um, before you became a Christian. You recently became a Christian here at the church, and uh, it's been an incredible journey for you. I've had the privilege to hang out with you and get to know you over the last uh, really closely, I don't know, what, six months or so? Give or take, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So why don't you just share with us kind of life before Jesus Christ? So, life was actually going really well for me and my family. I found a career, a long-term job. My fiancé and I were actually finally in a house, raising our daughter, Remy. I honestly was in a mindset of just building my career and providing for my family. I didn't really have a spiritual need at the time and wasn't concerned about much. As long as food was on the table, 
the lights were on, a roof was over our head. And uh, as some of you know, I came from a Buddhist background. I was born and raised into the religion. We had many beliefs, but our core value was to do good to receive good and to do wrong to result in karma. Another belief was reincarnation, one to be reborn as a human, but with karma you had in the previous life. But that's all I really knew. I followed it, I told myself and others I was Buddhist, but other than that, it wasn't really a day of practice for me. Yeah. And so you mentioned karma and reincarnation. Share with us a little bit about that from a Buddhist perspective. So as a Buddhist, you're, you're believed to, or to know that you're going to be reborn, at least in my previous, or it was to be born as a human, but you were born with the karma you had in the previous life. For example, if you did a lot of bad in a previous life, then you would come back with that type of karma or that wrongdoing. Um, maybe it would be, um, you know, less fortunate, diseased, or um, just didn't have an abundant life. And uh, you never really knew what that would have came out to be. So you, you, in, in, under Buddhism, the, the reality is, is that you're just not sure even if you're going to have salvation or, or some level of that, but the, your concern that the concern is, is if you do bad, then you could be born into like an impoverished family or right. a, a disease or uh, p- potentially handicapped or right. anything. But, and if you do enough good, then you would potentially climb up the kind of social sphere ladder. Is that kind of how it works? It- and, and the key word in that is potentially. So you, you never really know exactly what you're going to get into. Like you, from what I believe it is, you could do bad and then... Hold, hold that, Michael. Oh, you, 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 you could do bad and then not really know enough good, or you can really know to do enough good to, to result into a better life afterwards or yeah. as in reincarnation. So it was always a big question mark. So, and we've talked about this a bunch, like understanding good works versus good news because in my conversations with you that that was a big shift of hearing about the good news of Jesus Christ and that you don't it's not all about good works uh, maybe just elaborate from your perspective on that just for a moment yeah so it would always it was come you know you would always do so much good works and then result in the question mark but in Christianity, you know, you, you don't really have to worry about good works. You would, you know, as long as you confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and confess your sins, you, you know what your result's going to be. So you don't always have to worry about the good works. You can, you know there's good news, and that's comforting. Yeah. You know, and I, so Jesus to you became a better option because I remember you came to church and I'm sure you were, you were comparing Buddhism and historical Christianity that we preach at North Valley and the, and the good news message. And so tell us about that journey of how you made that transition to place your faith in Jesus Christ and become a Christian. Absolutely. Uh, about two years ago, Michelle Branch had invited my fiance, uh, Lacey, and I, plus Remy, to a Sunday service. I must admit I was a bit skeptical, uh, but Lacey finally convinced me to go to support her. And it turned out to be a really good service. We went home from there, and I didn't really think much of it. Weeks had passed by. I went about my daily responsibilities. Uh, but one night, uh, I had an incredible dream. Uh, for that some time, I actually kept to myself. 
It was of my father, Randy, and I were sitting at a dinner table and just in conversation. And then my dad looked at me dead in my eyes and said, Damon, God is real. You need to believe in him. Follow him. And I was at a loss of words in my dream. I woke up and never had a dream feel so real. Over the next couple of days, I kept thinking about that dream. I couldn't figure out why it seemed so real to me. I finally went to Lacey and told her about it to see what she had to say. She looked at me in the same way my dad did in my dream and said, God is reaching out to you. I think it was the same week, actually, uh, I went to attend church. And I started going consistently from there. I believe it was Easter Sunday, and I finally had the courage to tell Pastor Ryan I wanted to get together and talk about Christ as I had some questions. We had met a few times and spoke on the phone, and he asked the question if I was ready to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. I already knew my answer, and it came out without any hesitation. I said yes, and we prayed together. The very next week, I received my first Bible from Michelle and Annie Branch, and I started to study with Will Landis and Ryan. And I must tell you, this journey has been such a blessing. I've learned so much, not only in Christianity, but in life as well. And now it's time for my baptism. This past September, Ryan brought up the opportunity for me to get baptized. For me, I was a little set back as to, do I deserve it? What does it really mean to get baptized? And have I done enough in this short amount of time to earn the baptism? It took me a whole week to come to terms with it, and then I said yes. Man, I, I tell you, it was, a wor- it was so worth it. The whole experience was euphoric. Uh, it just felt as if 26 years washed away, and I felt reborn, which is a really overwhelming filming. When it came time for pictures with my family, we all got very emotional and shed some tears of joy. You know, what's really cool about his story is that right before I called you, that day, and I said, you know, because I remember we were talking underneath the Ramada first, you came up to me and you said, hey, I, I really want to talk to you more about Jesus and understanding who he is, um, and I'd seen you come time after time, and I had just told our staff team that we wanted to generate a list of 100 people that didn't know Jesus and, uh, and start praying for them, and you were at the top of my list, and uh, I was praying for you for probably weeks that God would draw you to himself, like, uh, and, and God would do it evidently. And so there was a lot of that God was doing at work in this man's life right here. And then I found out I got that phone call I told you about with Jody. Yeah. Uh, Jody Humber, a guy in our church, he calls me randomly and says, he wasn't even coming to our church at the time, and he said, Ryan, I hear Damon's going to your church, and, uh, and uh, I want you to know I've been praying for him, and I just wanted to know if you could reach out to him. And I said, Jody, he's been on my prayer list, and I was actually planning on calling him today. And he said, well, that's awesome. So I called you with an absolute confidence that God was doing a divine appointment, and that, and that just reaffirms it because you said, I called you, and I said, are, are you ready to receive Jesus Christ? <laughs> and you said, yeah, I'm ready to go, which shocked me. I was like, whoa. Yeah, it was natural. It's like that was easy, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was a cool feeling. And and right when you asked the question, I knew naturally to say yes. It was no question about it. And you know, the part that, you know, that I remember you telling me is the part that's freeing is when we talk about dealing with sin, 
under doing, doing wrong in a Buddhist mindset, you just never know if you're good enough. And the, the, what is the, 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 the response to sin is, we'll just do more good work. Yeah, it was, if you did bad, you would want to create yourself good karma. So you'd want to do good for others, do good in the community, or do good in uh, the church, uh, or their church. And, uh, but it was never... It was never a place where you can hit. It wasn't like, okay, do X, Y, and Z. It will lead to here. It's like, okay, do this, and hopefully you'll have better karma in your in your next life. So it was always a question, or always, did I do enough? Am I okay now? What if I do bad again? Is that going to even hurt me even more? What I have to do even more than I did last time? Um, you, you just never really knew. And so choosing Jesus for you was a, a big game changer in that worldview. Would you, how would you describe that? Uh, it was, yeah, it was definitely a big game changer just due to, one, it had a roadmap as in terms to, you know, confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, confess your sins, and you're accepted. And you're good to go. You know, that's, that's it. <laughs> and, uh, and then for me, it was... It was comforting just to know that and to be able to, you know, you can live life abundantly without having that back-of-the-mind fear of what's going to happen next because we all know what's going to happen next. And um, it, it, it just, it's, lack of a better word, comforting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's that acceptance piece that I was talking about. In a life of grace, you, the big issues of life are settled. You have an acceptance with God. And therefore, you can live a life of joyful obedience and trusting that he's a good father and trusting him. And a, and a, and a religious mindset is, is, by and large, is, well, if I obey and do all these good works, then I'll be accepted. But the question is there. You said it. At the end of the road in Buddhism is a big question mark. It's what you said. The key word is, we said together is potential. potentially. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Potentially. So the weight is off. So tell us about... What's next for you? So, life after receiving Christ has been a really beautiful ride. Uh, immediately after my baptism, I felt life is just vibrant and bright. and a strong sense of comfort and mission in my life. And since then, I've joined my first neighborhood group. I completed my first study with Ryan and Will. And we have many ventures ahead. But I can't thank my fiancé, Lacey, my aunt and uncle, Michelle, and Andy Branch, uh, you, Ryan, and uh, Will Landis for helping me mentor and teach me with this transition. Yeah. Let's give Damon a big round of applause. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Damon. Thank you for your grace uh, that saves. Thank you for this church. God, may we be here for, from generation to generation upholding this good news of your grace that saves. We give you great thanks for the work and the salvation in Damon's life. And we pray in the name of Jesus, blessing and promise and hope and a strong future over his life. We pray, God, that there would just be a deep reliance on your grace day by day and seeing your great gracious hand, your goodness towards him. Uh, thank you, God, for that gift of salvation in Damon's life. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 
Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.